Okay, testing, can you hear me? Is the mic on? Okay. Um, Brian, when will it kick off? I, I see 459, are we good to go? Did you say yes? I'm on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we always have a countdown, you know. In fact, I really got used to the, the do-overs when I was recording it. That's a mulligan that I spoke of last week. I didn't do it very often, but every now and then after five minutes, I would say, Andrew, this really, I, this is not working. Let's do this again. Okay. Well, welcome to this Sunday morning Bible class. Um, we are on Psalms 51. And... Right here. Okay. Last week, uh, last Sunday morning, I realized that it's, first of all, impossible for anybody who's viewing this online to hear your questions. And in all honesty, my hearing is so bad, since I'm, I only have one ear anyway, the left, that uh, I would misunderstand. I think I misunderstood Andrew's comment, according to Debbie. She, she let me know afterwards. I think you missed the point. But she was right. So what we have is, and I was going to give it to Deb, but I've given it to Trent. Trent has a microphone, a handheld mic, that I would love if you just want to insert a comment or ask a question. Uh, that would not only uh, help me as the teacher, but in fact it would help all of you listening both here and online. So with that in mind, if you do have a question, then, um, then let me know, okay? Let's open with prayer. In fact, Trent, you've got the microphone, brother. Why don't you open us in prayer? Thank you. For our chance to be here again today, thankful that you love us and you provide for us. 
because that you've sacrificed for us far beyond anything that we could comprehend or that we could try to do for ourselves. Father, thank you for loving us and blessing us. Father, thank you for uh, wit and his ability to bring your word to us. Father, continue to bless him and help him to uh, continue with us for many years to come. Father, please with those that were mentioned this morning, especially with Debbie Wade and her family. Father, that you would watch over the family and comfort them and comfort Debbie in her, her last hours of life. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers and always answering them. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I was going to read the 51st Psalm, but I think what I'll do is just work us through because I've got about six or eight verses up here. I want to remind us that the 51st Psalm is a psalm of contrition. It's a psalm of confession. It's a prayer for renewal. You can put any word you want to with it. They're practically three synonymous. There are 19 verses. I think we know the background really well. Uh, King David wrote the psalm, and he did it after being confronted by Nathan the prophet. Uh, and Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted the king over the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, the betrayal of one of his mighty men, Uriah, and the eventual murder of Uriah. We're talking about what we in the world would consider quite heinous. In fact, the betrayal, some say, there's that great Proverbs, I don't have it, um, where there it says six things the Lord hates, the seventh he abominates. And I think it's in Proverbs 6 or 7, you can look it up. Uh, but of the seven things that God hates, six he hates, the seventh he abominates, uh, four deal with the tongue, and the one that he abominates is sowing discord among brethren. Now, I can't think of any greater discord than betrayal. So, very few preachers that are, are teachers over the years, I've always heard adultery and murder. Those are bad enough, but I think we need to always include betrayal. The fact is, David uh, sinned greatly. And Nathan, the spokesman of God, heard God's voice. God said, I want you to go to David, and this is what I want you to tell him. Don't know if God allowed Nathan to come up with the parable himself or if he actually gave him the parable, but that stunning uh, closing sentence, you are the man, is something that we need to have mirror time with for ourselves. And I know you know what I mean when I use the word mirror time. There are times when God confronts me through the word, and I think through, the, through a gentle whisper, sometimes not so gentle, but I am the man. And then I need to fall like David did. I need to fall before the altar of God, the heavenly altar. How many times have you done this? I don't know. I, I've got a private place in my home where... Um, Debbie goes into it. It's my office, basically, but I have a wooden cross that I have there in the double window and kind of a little sanctuary for me. But that's where I can, when I pray, forgive me if this sounds pious. I don't mean for the, it should be just the opposite sounding, like David's confession. But I will lay prostrate right there on the floor because I have been confronted by God on something that I need to change in my life.
and there are steps for them. I've read the 51st Psalm for years and years and years and never really associated these sequential steps. David wrote the Psalm, but in fact, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why he'll say in verse 11, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't you know that if God's Holy Spirit, given to David, not given to everyone in the Old Covenant, only a select few, and then God could take it away as well, like he took it from Saul, and that's why David begs the Lord, don't take your spirit from me. That's something that God will not do to Ron or Barbara or Sandra or anyone else who's in Christ. No one can take the spirit from you. God has promised you, this is my guarantee for your inheritance, and he will not withdraw it. But anyway, there are steps to this renewal. The first was a cry for cleansing. Have mercy on me. It's the very first opening moment. When you're confronted with your sin, cry for mercy. I mean, if you don't cry for mercy, for cleansing, then one would, uh, you know, then it's debatable whether or not you believe there's even been a sin committed. And as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that's worse than sin is believing we don't commit any. Now, I'm not talking about a false accusation that, God forbid, if I falsely accused Philip, and God and Philip knew he did nothing wrong, and God knew he did nothing wrong, there's no reason for a cry for cleansing other than if I had an ulterior motive, I need to cry for cleansing. But once we understand that, yes, we have wronged God, then there needs to be a cry for cleansing. Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my, from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sins. Blot, wash, cleanse. Well, after we have this moment of cleansing, I think David goes right into the reality of sin. We've already talked about these either on a Wednesday night recorded class or last week for the latter. So you have the reality of sin. Then we talked about the depths of sin. Of all of the, of the little um, passages within the 51st Psalm, this one, I think, is perhaps the most understood, most misunderstood, and, and by me as well. I, every time I read the 51st Psalm, I kind of stop here, and I have to ask myself, okay, you know, ask God, what, what exactly do you mean by that? In fact, this is a class. We, there's no ending to it other than when we're through with the, with the psalm. Does anybody have any thoughts on the depths of sin? I was, this is Revised Standard, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Any thoughts on that? We've already talked about it in times past, but I keep looking at Philip. First of all, you're on the front row. Second of all, you're a good Bible student, and I know that and I've learned a lot from you. Do you have any thoughts on this text? I don't want to put pressure on you. Thank you, Trent. I would like for you to. Well, this text itself gives me some struggle as well. There have been people who have discussed that this suggests that we are born sinners, which according to Scripture, I can't buy into it that I'm born a sinner having not physically done anything. So I struggle in that area. Some people have suggested that uh, David's mother had been 
whether it be unfaithful or there was some type of a illicit relationship with her. And that's why he would say something like this. So I'm not 100% certain what David meant. You know what I meant? Again, that'll be one of the questions after who wrote the book of Hebrews in heaven, I guess, we're going to ask. But, um, but at least, I, I actually, I think your title, The Depths of Sin, I think David realized, really, how horrible and evil the sin is. And it, uh, he recognized it, it probably permeated him to some degree. And so... Um, while I don't have the, the, the grasp that David did when he, when he wrote these words, but I do get the idea that he realizes that sin is really a horrible thing. And we need to realize, just like Joseph did, that all sin is actually against God, not just other people, but it's always against God. And that is who we need to get reconciliation with. Yeah, thank you so much, Philip. In fact, I completely, thank you, Trent. I completely resonate with those three points. I don't know if you were counting them, but he was saying, Philip, I think this is what I heard, and I agree. What does sinful at birth mean? Means most people that I've read, and I suspect my brother Philip as well, believe that it's a connection to the Augustinian original sin, which means that we come from the womb sinful. Suffering, not just the consequence of Adam's sin, like I think Paul talks about in Romans 5, through one man sin entered the world in death through sin, but there are many who believe that we suffer from the guilt of Adam's sin. Therefore, when we're born into the world, like Augustine would argue, fourth century church father, born into the world, then we are in immediate need for salvation because we are lost. It may well be uh, a, a, a moot point, me, meaning it can be argued both ways, but I totally agree with the conclusion that as far as I read Scripture, I do not see anywhere where we're born with the guilt of Adam's sin. I do think we're all born with the consequence of Adam's sin, which is physical death, and that's why infants die. Two-year-olds die, children die, we all die physically. Um, the other thought was maybe Jesse's wife, maybe they were out of wedlock all of a sudden when David was born. There's nothing in Scripture that would imply that. Uh, so, you know, what does he mean? I'm not sure, other than I do think he is talking about, and I don't want to reiterate what Philip just said, but I do believe he's talking about the fact that even from birth, we are born into a fallen world. We are born with the propensity to sin, even as a child, um, all the way up. So anyway, uh, and then I think the latter part, the inner parts, is where God fixes everything. The heart, we're going to be talking about the heart in just a moment if I don't stop, if I need to stop the summary, but the, the inside. Okay, the, the fourth passage uh, in verses 7 through 9, we, we talked about this last week. Therefore, purge me. Blot, wash, cleanse, um, purge, get rid of it with hyssop. Hyssop was a, was, a, was a medicinal plant that the ancients used, and I guess it still can be used as an antiseptic. That's what they would use for a lot of their healings, and so David makes this connection. 
Purge me with hyssop. It's a metaphor. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be, you know, wash me, clean me, make me whiter than snow, uh, and so forth. Um, Hide your face, another metaphor for cleanse, wash, blot. Well, now we come to the clean heart. So David continues these steps to renewal. And by the time he finishes this psalm, he is renewed. God has put a new and upright spirit within him. God heard his prayer. He accepted his, his penitence, his confession. You know, and the moment he accepted David's confession, David was forgiven and life continued. And you can tell that by David's life, even with Bathsheba. Other children were born, not the least of which was Solomon. So David's successor. So God can take a horrible situation and somehow by his power and love have good result from it. Not in the act itself, but David no doubt drew closer to God based upon this confession of faith. Created me a clean heart. Put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Interesting, class, that we're looking at this text having just read Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. I didn't plan it that way. I do believe God's timing is perfect, and these little uh, nudging moments, a nudging of the Spirit moments, are important. I forgot how you put it a moment ago, Philip, in private, but it was something like that, how God, you know, can works in the, not mysterious ways and works in what way did you just describe? You forgot? Good, good, good. So I'm not the only one. I am older, so you have, a, you know, that's good, you're young. All right, here we go. Created me a clean heart. I tell you what, it's the same word, by the way, and man, I know, you know, my Greek is limited and my Hebrew is hardly even there. But I do know that it's the same word used from Genesis 1 and right here in Psalm 51. When David prays, create in me a clean heart, he's not saying take the old heart and, and improve it. He's saying I want a total new, totally new spirit. I want a new heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters, and God said, and we have creation. The first words, God created in the beginning. Same word David uses here. I want to start over. I don't want just a mulligan. I don't want to do over in the same round of life. I want you to kill me and recreate me. By the way, does that preach? Is that what people on the streets need to hear? Is that what Paul said in Romans 6, 3? Die to sin? Die. What do you do with a dead person? Well, you bury the dead person. And what comes from the grave? Someone brand new. Still not glorified. Same body, flesh and bones and blood, but someone who now, spirit of the world, and now the Spirit of God. It's a re, it's, 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 I want to say recreation, but it's not even a recreation. It is a creation for the first time. 
Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Um, I really would like to have some discussion. I know it's just about impossible. But feel free to raise your hand. Let me know if you have a thought you'd like to add. Um, I was, one of my two favorite chapters, and you know this, everybody has pet chapters, by the way. We all do. You know, that's why it's important for, for those who teach and preach to force themselves to go to other texts to let the Spirit of God speak to them, whisper in their ear, you know, to broaden your, your spiritual maturity. But two of mine that I have loved for, I don't know when I first began to really fall in love with them, is Matthew 6 and Matthew 23. And I think the reason I've loved them the most is because they've helped me the most. Jesus talks about hypocrisy. Don't do things to be seen by men. Don't preach so everybody might say, man, you're good. Or not so good. Don't pray on the street. Jesus uses Matthew 6, don't give money and don't pray on the street corners and don't fast so other people will see you. If you do that, God not only doesn't see you, he doesn't like it. David, the king, great king, powerful, money, women, whatever the world considers to be associated with power, begged God for a clean heart. Any thoughts? on this before we move on. Just for the recording, just for people online, there might be more folks online than sitting here in the sanctuary. The Psalm 5110 is one of the most powerful texts out there, and David certainly recognized that. Uh, the word he said create is the word bara in Hebrew. Thank you. Unbelievable. When you realize, I mean, David knew this is an act and work of God and God alone. And it is, when you start to understand what David is saying here, you're going to prostrate yourself on the ground because this is a work of God. And that's, and that's what we need as human beings, God's active work in our life. And it's only he that can provide that. And that's absolutely right. Genesis 1-1, and this is the same word. Bereshit bara. I mean, in the beginning, when God created, it's really powerful, but it's wonderful that David was humble enough to recognize this is God's work. It, you know, the preacher can't do it, the elder can't do it, and you can't do it. That's maybe what you need to realize. It's an act of God, and that's where you need to go to the source. Well, that's powerful. That's powerful. Created me a clean heart. David receives the Holy Spirit, right? 1 Samuel 16, 13. I find it interesting that in that 1 Samuel text, I'm, I'm glad I have it up here. I wasn't sure if I did. But in that 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, in one verse, David receives the Spirit of God. In the next verse, God takes it away from Saul. Now, if that won't grab your attention, if you're a Bible reader, you know, whether you're a Jew today, in today's world, 
or whether you're a Christian, a completed Jew, if, if I can use that expression, uh, it's a very powerful moment. Take not your Holy Spirit. So let me ask you very quickly, uh, is that even possible today? I know there are those who say yes, you know, uh, that God uh, can remove His Spirit from us. Uh, I have a very challenging time finding that anywhere in Scripture, but, you know, I could also be taught. Uh, I will have this one caveat. You've heard me before talk about it from Galatians and Ephesians, where the only way that I'm aware, especially in Galatians, the only way that I'm aware that, that the Spirit of God can depart from me is by my own volition. God forbid, that's why Paul would say, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, there are those who would argue even that's not possible. Uh, but the good part is, as far as I know in Scripture, no one can take you from the hand of God. No one. Um, Acts 2.14, what, what, what's happening in Acts 2? Just holler it out loud. What's that? Say it louder, Sue. No, you're right. Keep going. Just because I can't hear you doesn't mean you're not right. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Trent. It, the first sermon that um, was delivered that in the, that chapter. Yes. Thank you, Sue. The first sermon that was delivered was by Peter in Acts chapter 2, and what was baffling to the apostles just prior to but understood later was that this is Joel's prophecy that's finally come to fulfillment where, you know, all of the men, you know, uh, how does it go? The, the, um, Joel's prophecy will, you know, that the Spirit of God will fall out, on, uh, fall upon all flesh, men, women, maidservants, servants, etc. Everyone will, has the opportunity to receive the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I do know that text, and that's where we just preached this morning, and that is God, through Paul, telling the Ephesian church that um, you are sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what, just as a reminder class, and we're going to bring this to an end right now, as a reminder, you really do need to uh, bow down and thank God repeatedly for giving you His Spirit. It's a gift. It's nothing that you've earned. It's nothing that you've bartered with God. If you do this, I'll do something. It's a gift. And of all the gifts that God could have given us, He's given us salvation, and then to assure us, to guarantee us that indeed we will be saved, He's imparted the gift of His Spirit. And so David understood the incredible beauty and power of God's Spirit living within him. It also tells me this, that even with the Spirit of God living within us, in our unglorified body, unglorified bodies, we can still choose to sin. The difference with the Spirit, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins one to the other, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we 
How is that possible? Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the Spirit of God living within me is the advocate that we have, that I have, and that you have as well. Next class, next week, uh, my brother William Beard will be speaking here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll not be in the pulpit next week. Um, I'll be around, but, you know, I just need a break. More importantly, and I've told the elders this so many times, and they've all sort of agreed, you need a break. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, God willing, Debbie and I will be here with you to hear uh, Andrew preach and to hear Brother William teach. Then the following Sunday, I'll pick it back up, and we'll continue on the seven steps to renewal. Do you have a question or any comments as we bring this to a close? Trent, if I could have the microphone, please. Thank you, sir. Are there any, any comments, any questions? Okay. I'm going to ask Brother Tommy, one of our elders, used to be, once an elder, always an elder, by the way, to close the class in prayer. Thank you, sir. Lord, we're so grateful for the blessing of being able to be here and be in your family and celebrate together. Thank you for the words that we hear that encourage and inspire us. And thank you for being with us on a daily basis. Bless us and keep us all safe. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. <laughs>